0: We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy in chapter 6 in just a moment And we're going to be talking today about how to get it right in the home. I want to begin today by saying that we all know the home, in many respects, is in shambles all across this country. And there are a lot of people in and out of the church that have significant problems within the context of their home life. And so really the question is, how can we get it right? We know there's a problem, and we see the lives of many, many people that demonstrate this fact on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, for many people, their home life, as we would say, seems to be coming apart at the seams. And so, again, how can we get it right? Is it possible for us to foolproof our home, to make it what God would want it to be? Well, I think the answer would be yes, because after all, God is the one who designed the home. It is His establishment, and God wants us to be successful in the home. He wants us to enjoy our time at home. So, how can we get it right? Let me just give you some principles that I think will help guide you as well as myself When it comes to the home, how can we get it right? Well, first of all, there has to be what I call a priority in the home. I want to begin by asking you this question. What are your priorities in the home? If somebody were to ask you, okay, write down five things that are priority number one in your home life, what would you say? What would you write down? Did you know that there are some things that are shared with us by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy that help us with regard to our priorities. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is rehearsing the law of God, the covenant relationship that God entered into with the children of Israel. And as you well know, God gave them some very specific commands by which were to govern their lives. Some of those commands were vertical in nature. In other words, they dealt with man's relationship to his God. And then there were those commands that were horizontal in nature, man's relationship to his fellow man. And so, in light of that, Moses identifies for us some priorities that ought to be a a part of our home life. First of all, he says, we need to fear the Lord. Again, we need to fear the Lord. So pick up with me if you would, in verse 29 of chapter five. Listen, if you would, to what Moses records. "Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children, Forever. I want to begin by saying that first and foremost in the home, we need to learn to respect or reverence the Lord. In other words, God needs to be at the apex of our lives. And we ought to be the kind of people that are striving to the best of our ability to honor Him in our daily lives. Solomon in the book of Proverbs said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it all begins with our view of God. What is your view of God? We live in a day and time when many people have a diminished concept of God. They misunderstand His nature, His character, His essence. And so we need to have a clear understanding of the God of heaven and earth. To recognize that He is our Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer. And so first and foremost, we are to fear the Lord. But then there's a second thing. And that is, we are to be faithful to the Lord. Notice, if you would, in verse 31 of chapter 5. God said, But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you. Look at chapter 6 very quickly. Verse 1, this is a commandment. These are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son, your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Two things here. First of all, what Moses is saying is we need to be biblical in our homes. Everything ought to revolve around what God's Word has to say, shouldn't it? It ought to be, how can I live my life in accordance with the will of God? Do you remember the psalmist in Psalm 119, 161? He said, my heart stands in awe of your Word. What's happened in America? Why do you think a lot of homes are coming unraveled and many homes are ending in divorce and children are suffering? Let me tell you why. Number one, because many homes all across our nation lack fear for the Lord. They fail to reverence Him. Secondly, they fail in the realm of being faithful to the Lord, of being biblical. You see, what Moses is saying here is, if you want the kind of home life that God desires, here's how it's done. You fear me and you be faithful. You see, God's relationship to Israel was contingent, conditioned, predicated on their willingness to honor his commands. And God is saying, Look, I can bless you, I will bless you, but you've got to stay true to my word. Note again what he said. Listen again back in chapter 5. He said, Be careful. To do as the Lord your God has commanded you. He said, You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Do you remember when God summoned Joshua sometime later, after the death of Moses? And God said of that great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And so Joshua is called upon to assume the mantle of leadership. And God said, look, just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Here's what you need to do. You need to meditate on my law day and night. You're not to turn from it to the right hand or to the left. In other words, number one, you need to be biblical. Number two, you need to be balanced. That is, you're not given to extremes. But rather, you're simply striving to the best of your ability to walk within the scope of God's word. Listen again to what he said, chapter 5, verse 32. Do not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Well, what are the blessings if I do this in the home? What were the blessings that were assured to the children of Israel? Here it is. You fear the Lord, you live faithfully to the Lord, and you'll be fruitful in the Lord. Now you might ask the question, how do you know that? How can you assure me that my home life will be blessed... If I honor the Word of God, well, listen to Him in chapter 5, verse 32. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. God is saying, number one, you will prosper in the land. God was going to bless them in many, many ways. Look, if you would, at chapter 2, or rather chapter 6, verse 2 that you may fear the Lord your God to keep His statutes, His commandments, which I command you, you and your son, your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be what? Prolonged. Would God not bless them in the land? Yes, He would. The land of Canaan was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. And God intended to bring them into this gracious land. And He would bless bless them over and over again not only would they prosper in the land, but he said, let me tell you what, you will populate the land. Look at verse 3 of chapter 6. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Could I ask you a question? And be very honest with yourself. How's your home life? If you were to rate your home life on a scale of 1 to 10, what would it be? How is your home life? Do you fear the Lord? Are you fruitful to the Lord? Are you being blessed? Look, God's saying, if you will follow this prescription... You'll be blessed. He will prosper you, not necessarily materially and physically speaking, but by and large spiritually. There are homes today that are in absolute chaos. And I look at the lives of people today who are married, and I see their children, their grandchildren, and I I see all of this chaos and mayhem. And many, many of the problems would dissipate if they would simply go back to the Bible. You know, We talk about forward progress. Spiritually speaking, forward progress is always summed up in back to the Bible. Back to the Word of God. And so, first, the priority in the home. Secondly, there needs to be passion in the home. Note, if you would, in verse beginning, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Two things here. First, their attitude toward the Lord. The children of Israel were surrounded by people involved in pagan idolatry, weren't they? They believed in any number of what we would call or identify as pagan gods. You can't love the Lord if you don't understand His nature. If you don't understand the very essence and character of God. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul went to the city of Athens? The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 verse 16 that his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. Paul had the opportunity to sit down with some of the great philosophers of his day and reason with them about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. One of the real problems in that epicenter of intellectualism was the fact that they misunderstood the very nature and essence of God. They didn't understand the one true living God. And so what did Paul do? He sought to correct their thinking about the nature of God. He said, God that made the world and all things therein dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is He worshipped by the hands of men, as though He has need of anything. For it's in Him that we live and move and have our very being. He's made of one blood, all nations of the earth, to dwell dwell together. God is the creator of the human family. He's not just the creator, He is the sustainer of the human family. And so, what is your attitude of God? Did you know that we live in a country today in which many people, their perception of God is skewed? We used to live in a country in which most people believed in the one true living God. Not so anymore. Anything and everything goes. And so we have to develop the right attitude about God. So what is our attitude? What shapes that attitude? Scripture does, doesn't it? How would you know anything about the character of God separate and apart from this book? You wouldn't. Now the psalmist said the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Can I tell there is a God by looking at the world around me? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind we can step outside this building and see the handiwork of God and we can tell design demands a designer. There is someone behind this world. That someone is God. But how will I know the mind of God, the will of God? I can't know it without this book, can I? So I can read about the nature and essence of God in this book. So first, our attitude toward God, and then secondly, our affection for God. Look again at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, here's what God wants from you. He wants everything. Have you given him everything? Do you remember Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 33 said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word first means before anything else. Sometimes we ask the question to those who belong to the body of Christ. Who are you? Well, you're a Christian, aren't you? The second question, whose are you? You belong to God. And since you're a Christian and you belong to God, you have said, in effect, everything about my life will be devoted to God, won't it? Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? He said, No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God. He said, You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Here's what he's saying. You belong to God. You're His, lock, stock, and barrel. Everything about you belongs to Him. Now, the question is, have you devoted everything to Him? When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he spoke of Jesus and the ultimate second coming of the Lord Jesus. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he said, "...and Christ," listen to him, "...who is our life." If you were to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I can tell you, without fear, without hesitation... Everything about his life was devoted to the Lord. Everything. Everything. We sing the song, He is my everything. Is He your everything? We sing the song, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Have you surrendered all to Jesus? Is He your everything? Let me tell you what. If your home life is not what it ought to be, if you have problems and troubles and trials in your home, many of those problems might be self-inflicted. Go back to Scripture. Go back, get your your mind right, your attitude right about the Lord. Understand that God wants your affection. He wants you to love Him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Let me tell you, if we love God with with all of our heart, soul, and mind, it'll never be a question, are we involved in the work of the church? It'll never be a question of whether we worship God on a regular basis. Because we will. Why? Because we love Him. He's our everything. So... We talk about our priority in the home, our passion in the home, and then thirdly, note if if you would, our persuasion in the home. First, there's what I would call the passing on of the faith. Do you think God desires that those of us who are parents pass the faith on to our children? I can answer that for you. The answer is yes. So, What about passing on the faith? Note, if you would, verse 6, chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. He said, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So, the passing on of the faith. It requires diligence on our part, doesn't it? We have to be diligent in doing that. Not only diligent, but deliberate. In other words, we need to be very careful. Go back and look at verse 32 of chapter 5. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. He said, You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. As a parent, we need to make sure that we instill in the lives of our children what God wants them to be and what God wants them to do. If you don't do that, could I ask the question, who will? You think the schools are going to do that? Not at all. Ideally, both the mother and father are on the same page. In other words, You've got the mother on the one hand and the father on the other. And there's this concerted effort to teach and to mold and to train children in the Lord. But it requires a lot of effort. And so you think about passing on the faith. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1? And he talked about the genuine faith that dwelt first. In Timothy's mother, or rather, grandmother Lois. And then in his mother Eunice. And then he said, And I am persuaded is in you also. Chapter 3, verse 15, 2 Timothy. Paul said, And that from a baby, from infancy, he said, You've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul here is saying to Timothy, look, you know what God wants in your life because of your mother and grandmother. They were diligent and deliberate in their instruction. So first there is the passing on of the faith, and then what about the possession of faith? If we want our children to be what they need to be, what God wants them to be, it's going to require a lot of effort, isn't it? Could I say this? When you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and you talk about the genuine faith that dwelt first in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, then in his mother, Eunice, and then he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. That was not accidental, incidental, or coincidental. If your children are what they ought to be in the home, and by that I simply mean if they are faithful To God, And they believe in the word of God and they understand that this book is to govern, reign, rule in their lives. If they are what they ought to be in the eyes of God, then that has not been something that is accidental, incidental, or coincidental. But rather it is something that you have prayed for, you have worked for, you have sought after on a daily basis. What about you as a parent? Is that the case in your life? You know, at some point in time, our children are like those baby birds. And we have to push them out the nest, out of the nest. We've got some young folks that are going to be leaving the nest. They're going to be cutting that apron string. There comes a point in time when we as parents have done all that we can do. We've shaped, we've molded, we've done our best. And at that point in time, it's up to them to carry on. But that faith has to be instilled in them. Again, think about Timothy. You ask the question, okay, okay, Timothy, when did your mama and your grandma, when did they begin teaching you? And that from a baby, from infancy. I think about all the little children we have here today. We're blessed as a congregation to have a lot of babies. I'm grateful for every baby we have. I'm grateful for their laughter. I'm grateful for their tears because it's a good thing. And I believe that every new mother here wants the absolute best for her children. Why? Because you have their best interest at heart. But if they're going to be what God would have them to be, and your home is going to be strong and solid, it's not going to be an accident. But it's going to take some planning some work, some effort on your part. So, the possession of faith in the lives of your children, it's not, as I said a moment ago, it's not accidental, it's not incidental, it is not coincidental. Here's what it requires. Number one, it's going to require time on your part. As a parent, 24-7. No sick days. Why? Because you're a parent. When those little ones come into this world, it's your responsibility to rear them. You only have a few short years, and they're gone. 18 years isn't a lot of time. And I can promise you, it will pass before you know it there may be one today, there'll be 10 tomorrow, and 18 next week. It's, it's that fast. So as Paul said, you need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Use every minute. Every minute you have devoted, to the best of your ability, to the welfare of your children. The decisions you make, the places you send your children to, the associations that they make in this life. Everything ought to be governed by... Scripture. Psalmist said in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. You only have a few short years. You better make wise usage of those years. First, it requires time. Secondly, it requires teaching. Teaching. You can't share what you don't know. If you don't know what the Bible has to say, then as a parent, I would encourage you, Dig in deep. Start learning. Come to Bible class. Have your children in Bible class. Listen, those little babies that come to cradle roll, they're singing, they're learning, and it's amazing. It's like a sponge. They just soak it up. If you're a young mama a young daddy, I would encourage you, have your children in Bible class. You'll never go wrong. But you've got to teach them not just not just make sure they're in worship and Bible study, but you need to be teaching them in the home. Listen again to what Moses said. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, your life needs to be about teaching your children. Teach them what's right. Isaiah said, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Do you know what God says? Do you know what God wants for your children? You want them to be be blessed? You want them to be successful and prosper in life, then teach them this book. Teach them to respect God. Teach them to love God. And then finally, training. When I was a little fella, I learned to ride a bicycle using training wheels. Some of you may have done the same thing. Well, as a parent, we have to train our children. Think about, think for a moment about Moses and Joshua. Joshua is described in Scripture as the assistant to Moses. Do you think he learned a lot on the job training? You think he listened to Moses? You, don't you think that he observed how Moses interacted with the children of Israel? That he looked at his leadership skills? So when God said to Joshua, Moses is dead, Moses, my servant, is dead, it's time for you to step up, Joshua was ready. We have in this congregation future elders, future deacons, future preachers. We have in this congregation future godly mothers who I have no doubt will train and shape and mold their children in the will of God. We have a lot to be grateful for. So you want to know how to get it right in your family? Go back to the Bible. That's how to get it right. It begins and ends with Scripture. That's the key. If you'll follow these principles, I promise you God will bless your life. So as a parent, you need to invest in time, their time. You need to invest in teaching. You need to invest in training. And If you'll do that, I promise you God will bless your life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want you to obey the gospel. Not because necessarily because we want you to, but because God wants you to. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul said God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, what is the truth? Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent of all your sins, just like they were instructed to do on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? They were instructed to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So that their sins might be forgiven. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. And in the church, you'll enjoy all spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, Fastened to the rock which cannot move, Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.